I have an article here from CNN that has never been accused of being Christian. All I'd ever known up until I was 10 years old was chaos in my home, writes this American. I was the oldest of four children and the atmosphere was volatile for all of us. My father and mother were in constant conflict, making divorce seem like the only possible outcome. Having married young, they were still trying to figure out how to make life work. They often argued about how to handle finances, especially when there was little money to go around. I could have ended up a casualty of a broken family, like so many of the kids around me in the inner city of Baltimore. But my life was forever changed the year I turned 10. CNN reports. That was the year my dad turned to Jesus. He'd been invited to visit a nearby church for a special event. While there, two men asked him if he knew if he'd go to heaven when he died. He said he wasn't sure. The men explained Christ's sacrificial and all-encompassing atonement. And for the first time, my dad understood the path to salvation. He didn't just accept God's salvation, he immediately became fired up about God and the Bible. He became an instant evangelist. If you're not fired up about God, it's because you don't know him. We got too much religion, but not enough God. He became an instant evangelist. Whenever my dad wasn't working, he'd take me along to pass out biblical tracts on street corners or to visit the local prison. I guess that's where a lot of his relatives were. If I went downstairs to get a glass of water late at night, I'd see Dad uh, reading the Bible or praying on his knees. I want to tell you, folks, something. If you're not reading your Bible every day and praying on your knees, it's because you don't know God. That's the problem with our homes. That's the problem with our churches. He had to do that when my mum wasn't watching. My mum didn't like my dad as a sinner, and she liked him even less as a saint. She did everything she could to make his life difficult, but my father did everything he could to show her his love. When my mum would start with him, he would stop what he was doing and start praying for her on the spot. One night, my mum came down the stairs with tears in her eyes. My dad was reading the Bible. She told him that she could not understand how the more she rejected him, was unkind to him, and tried to prove that believing in God was wrong, the kinder he was to her, and the more he invested in God's word. I want what you have, she said, because it must be real. They got down on their knees, and my dad, CNN says, led my mum to Christ. He led all of us kids to him too and modeled the values of making God the center focus in all that we did. He held weekly Bible studies at our kitchen table and instilled a love for church in his kids. On the Wednesday nights, he had to work late. I would walk four miles to get to our church. Dad taught me to view all of life through a spiritual lens. You're not a good parent unless you teach your children to go to church. Hear what I'm saying? Hey, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you the truth here. If my dad had not exhibited the courage to change, my home would have become another statistic. I would have ended up a casualty, and my own four children might have ended up casualties too. It is common for children to end up as statistics when men do not accept their God-given responsibilities. But in America, men have walked away from it. And in Australia too. 40% of our children go to sleep at night with no dad at home. And the percentage is even higher among minority groups and in the inner city. Divorce is part of the problem, but many men father children without helping to raise them. They have become like the abominable snowman. Their footprints are everywhere, but they are nowhere to be found. Deadbeat dads.
When fathers come home after a tough day at work, they should come home to serve like my father did, teaching lessons around the dining table and leading the family in worship and in prayer. For 35 years, my father had to lift heavy boxes as a longshoreman. But on Sunday mornings, even if he had to work all the night before, he'd wake us up and I'd say, but dad, I'm tied. He'd say, no son, I'm the one who's tied, but we are going to church. Because for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I hope this somehow gets through into the darkened chambers of our minds because many of us, even in this church, have built up a barrier between ourselves and God. And that's why our children and our young people are in such a mess. Because of deadbeat dads and deadbeat mums. The topic today is on the brink. The coming tempest, the gathering storm, and the power of God. Please take your Bibles. Turn over here to Revelation chapter 7 and pray today that you'll let God talk to you. Because I'm knowing, I know I'm talking to so many people here in Los Angeles and it seems impossible to get through to you because you've heard it all before, but you don't bring your children to Sabbath school. You don't even come to church on time because you are so far from God. Revelation 7, 1 to 3. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. I want you to know this. You can believe it. You can discount it. You can say I'm going to tune you out. But I want you to know something. The angels are holding back the winds of strife. And when God says to the angels, let it go, we're going to see the time of trouble and the seven last plagues. We are living in the time when God is holding back the winds of strife. Verse 9 gives me hope. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Thus, the Bible tells us that in the last days, God will have a people. And that people is going to come from every nation, kindred, tongue and people. And sometimes I think, my fellow Americans, that we've had our opportunity and sometimes I think that as a people, we have turned our backs on God. So listen carefully. Let me talk about our times in the light of Bible prophecy for a start. I'm going to give you 10 great signs. And the first great sign that I'm going to talk about is social unrest. The Bible tells me in the last days, men and women and the teeming multitudes of the cities will experience uncertainty and unrest. Their hearts will fail them. Come over here to Luke 21. Luke 21 i got a lot of texts. Please turn to the scriptures. Luke 21, verse 25 and 26. And remember 
what God did for that man and that woman, God can do for you. Luke 21, 25, 26. But he can't do it for you if you're going to sit here and harden your hearts. And if the fathers are not going to assume their responsibility. I've noticed in our own church, here in America, most of the men have abdicated their responsibilities to their wives. The wives are the ones who are the spiritual leaders, but not the husbands. And it's time we got back to God, and it's time as men we started to act like men. And not women. Look at this text. There shall be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I think of the situation in the world as I talk. I think of the unrest, the uncertainty in Europe that the nation, the world is standing on the brink of a great precipice. But we've heard it so often that many of us have committed the unpardonable sin by closing our hearts to the Spirit of God. I think of Europe, I think of the Middle East. I think of Iran, I think of Syria, I think of Israel, I think of the financial markets, I think of the 1% getting wealthier and wealthier and the middle class getting poorer and poorer. And the Bible says judgment is coming. Did you know Winston Churchill during the 1930s warned America and warned Great Britain about the gathering storm. He said, the Nazis are getting ready to take over the world. You know what the House of Commons did in Parliament, did in London? They laughed at him. They sneered at him. They said, he's lost it. He is a fool. When Chamberlain came back from talking to the Fuhrer, Hitler, he said, peace in our times. We're going to have peace. And the people cheered. But the peace came in the form of pieces of bombs. And soon London was burning and all of Europe except Britain had been taken over by the stormtroopers. Nobody believed him. It's like people in the world today, you don't believe. Most of you don't believe. Most of the people in the church don't believe. They say, it's never going to happen. Sign number one. Number two, religious apostasy. Second Thessalonians 2 and also 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. And we're going to go to the second text. 2 Timothy chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse, verses 2 to 4. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And if you'll come to chapter 4, please. Chapter 4 and verse 3, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside uh, to myths. So sign number two is religious apostasy. The Bible says that the people of God, people who call themselves believers, will fall away from the truth and they will not believe the truth or obey the truth. That is the time in which we live. As Karl Barth quoted this man who said, when the holy day becomes the day of man, 
humanity, society and humanity will wither away and the demons rule. And the demons are ruling today. One of the main reasons the demons are ruling is because the world is breaking the Sabbath. We've given up the Holy Sabbath. Even Christians who used to keep Sunday no longer keep even Sunday. And preachers can't get out of church quick enough to go and play golf. Social unrest, number two, religious apostasy. Number three, sexual perversions accepted by the state and by the church. Come over here to Romans 1. We're going to put up all these texts on the screen. And as you leave today, you can get a copy of them. And if you want a copy, you can write to me and I'll send you a copy of the signs and the texts. Signs of the times. Romans 1, 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. You say, I don't like to hear this. Well, that's because you don't want to hear what God says. So the third sign, let me write it up here. The third sign perversions now when you leave the church today we're going to give you the text from the book of Genesis the Bible talks about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah it talks about Lot and it talks about the sexual perversions and it talks about the fire that came down from heaven and consumed them and I want you to know something Judgment is coming to the world. Today, there's no right and no wrong. And there were things we once never spoke about. But today, political leaders and spiritual leaders say that the sins of Sodom are welcome in the church, not this church. Because of these things, judgment is coming. Sign number four, violence increasing. Come over here to Genesis 6 and verse 11. Genesis 6. And gentlemen, on the projectors, after we give the main point, we can put up all the texts. We're not going to read them all. We'll put them all up. Genesis 6 and verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Sign number four. The Bible talks about increasing violence. We're going to go to a place shortly to preach the gospel and we're told you can't walk outside the door of your hotel or else you'll be killed. Then I could take you to a place in Africa where they've managed to kill six million people. I could take you to the Sudan. I could take you to Syria. I've been to most of these countries. And we don't have to go too far. We can go down to Mexico, where in the last few years, they have killed 50,000 people to supply us with the drugs that we've got to have. So it's not our fault. Yes, it is. If we turned to God and gave up the accursed drugs, there would be no gang wars in Mexico. The Mexicans are sending to us that which we we got to have. What a judgment is going to come upon us. The Bible says, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be. And the Bible says the flood came and took them all away. You say, boy, that's pretty strong. Yeah, a flood is coming. It's going to be a flood of fire. It's going to consume our cities. It's going to consume the world. It's going to consume everything that isn't covered by the blood of Christ. 
I can't understand why every person who professes to believe these things is not out teaching these things and talking about these things. Sign number five, the remnant church asleep. Would you come over here to Matthew 25? You say, you shouldn't say that. Well, Jesus said it, folks. Don't blame me. Jesus said it. Matthew 25, he talks about the wise and the foolish virgins. That's the church. Matthew 25, you better come down to verse, let's see, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of God, heaven, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And verse 5 says, the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy. That's the whole lot of us. That's why we're not doing evangelism. Because we're all drowsy. And it says, they all fell asleep. The great sign today is religious apathy. That people say, I don't care. And churches say, we are here to maintain the status quo. Thank God that Elder Neil Wilson, as the new leader of the church, has said, we need to evangelize the cities. That's what Ellen White said a hundred years ago. But on the whole, we have been asleep. And that is a sign of the times. Sign number six. Number six. I better put that up. Number five. Number five. The remnant. God's church. Asleep. You say, you're insulting us. Well, at least I'm glad you're not sleeping right now. Not insulting anybody. The Bible says in the church you got the good and the bad. And the Bible says they all fell asleep. Sign number six, the growing influence of the Vatican. Oh, dear. Revelation, they say, there he goes again, because the Bible does it. And if you don't preach these things, my friend, uh, it's because you're a part of the great apostasy of the last days. If you're afraid to preach the Bible, Revelation 13, verse 3, verse 4. Look at verse 4. Men worship the dragon because he'd given authority to the beast, and they also worship the beast. They said... Who is like the beast who can make war against him because he is so powerful. And so we got to hear sign number six, the growing influence of the Vatican. Now, Elder Ted Wilson, God bless him, and may his tribe increase has said that we ought to distribute like the leaves of autumn this book, Great Controversy. Let me read you. Some people say, but we don't like what you're preaching. Well, I guess you wouldn't like Great Controversy, would you? You wouldn't like Great Controversy. God's word has given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purpose is of Rome really are when it is too late. She is silently growing in power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. She is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. Stealthily and unsuspectedly, she is strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time comes for her to strike. Never read it? You never read this book? Where have you been? All that she desires is vantage ground, and this is already being given her. We shall soon see and feel what the purpose of the Roman element is. 
Whoever shall believe and obey the word of God will thereby incur reproach and persecution. Read the book. Wake up. Sign number seven. The worldwide acceptance of spiritism. Let me put it here on the blackboard. The worldwide acceptance of spiritism. And we want you to put the text up, the references on the screen. Now, Revelation 17 says that in the last days, deceiving demons will ensnare the whole wide world. Sign number seven. Do I need to remind you today that millions believe that the dead are not dead, the dead are alive? Even television shows today are devoted to spiritism. And the most popular children's books are about spirits and demons and are promoted by some churches. And people say, what is wrong with these books? The people are being brainwashed into the acceptance of demonism. Sign number eight, terrifying natural disasters. Come over here to Luke 21. Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. There'll be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken at the time they will see the Son of Man. So sign number eight, terrifying natural disasters. Natural disasters. Earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, natural disasters increasing. And all of these signs tell us we are on the brink. And judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for the world and judgment is coming for the church. Sign number eight, indifference to and hatred of the law of God. Come over here to Revelation 12 and verse 17. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, the church, and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the faith of Jesus. Sign number nine. A hatred of the law of God. A hatred of the law of God about marriage. A hatred of the law of God about truth and honesty and decency. Judgment is coming. The fire is coming. And sign number 10 is the gospel to the world. Come over here to Matthew 24 and verse 14. Sign number 10, number 10. The gospel, the good news of Christ, his death, his atoning sacrifice, justification through the blood of Christ, the resurrection of Christ from the dead and his coming in power and great glory. I want you to know this. You can't stop the tide from coming in and you can't stop the gospel from being preached. But I want to tell you folks something. I'm going to look in the camera. Give me a camera that I can talk to. Okay, listen to me. The greatest handicap to the preaching of the word of God today is the apathy that is found in the church. That's the greatest Hold back. And if only the church would arise and evangelize, we would see the power and the miracles of God. Christ is coming. 
and judgment is coming. I've just come back from my 40-second visit to Russia and Ukraine. Why do you do it? Because God tells me to. Why do you do it? Because the Bible says that's what you ought to do. How amazing. How amazing. When I went there, I meet, and I can't say their names. We're going to put their faces up on the screen, but we're not going to show this on television. The leader of the Russian mafia, we're not going to show that on television. I'm not going to say his name. Had 400 armed soldiers under him. This man here, if you look at his eye, there's a bullet mark that comes right down his face. They've all had lead in their tummies from gang warfare. But these men became evangelists for Christ. And I don't say it boastfully, but it's the truth because they looked at our videos. You don't believe in evangelism? What's wrong with you? These people looked at our videos and the toughest men in that part of the world. They'd been brought up as Muslims. Now they are building a church in a great Muslim center and they've got to raise $700,000 to build the church. I said, by the grace of God, we'll help you. They said, how are you going to do it? I said, I don't know, but God will help us. He always does. Not everybody is apathetic. There are people to whom the Spirit of God can still get through. What about you? Then there's the persecuting prelate. When we went to Kiev to preach, the prelate said, John Carter will preach in this city over my dead body, which now lies on the footpath. Don't laugh about things like this. It's not funny. The prelate said, never, never, never over my dead body. He died a week before the campaign. There were riots in the street. There's the year 1995. They were going to bury him in the state cathedral. But the government said, no, he's not worthy. So he was cast out and he's buried on the footpath. Don't fight the preaching of the gospel. Are you listening to me? I have people who say, well, I'm going to fight and I'm going to oppose it. Just you be careful. Don't mess with Christ. Don't mess with the gospel. Don't mess with the Holy Spirit. Whenever I go to Kiev, I go down there and I think of the man who said, they shall not pass. The sick healed. Does God heal the sick? Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait a while. When I was in Nizhny Novgorod three years ago, I was taken to a hospital that made me weep because in that hospital I had anointed Anna. She'd had two babies. And I stood beside the bed of Anna. I wish some of you folks could come. You'd get some soul. Instead of watching all the garbage we watch here in American television that destroys our brains. So we can't think. And that's true with some of you. You can't read your Bibles now because you can't concentrate for more than 10 seconds. You need a miracle. You need a healing. So I went to this place, went in to see Anna. She couldn't speak. She was dying. In those days, there were not enough medicines to save her. She was bleeding everywhere. I put my hands on her and prayed for her. And as the sun went down that Sabbath, Anna died. Three years ago, a mother and her mother-in-law came to me and said, Pastor Carter, you're here in Russia. Come with us to the hospital. So I went. When I went in there, it was the same emergency room. <laughs> Same paint on the walls, same tiles, 
They took me into the intensive care ward. No, they took me to the door. And they said, there's a little boy in there. His name is Antoine. And he's dying. And the mother said, hold him before he dies. So Vadim and I wanted to go in, but they said, you can't go. An old babushka nurse, that's a grandmother. She went in, got the poor little fellow and brought him out. Disconnected him from the tubes and stuff. We couldn't, I couldn't hold him in my arms, but I put my hands on him. And I said to the nurses and the doctors, what's the prognosis? They said, he'll be dead very soon. He'll be dead very soon. And so with a, some tears and weeping, we put him in God's hands and anointed him in the name of the Lord. And three years later, I go back and the mother comes to me and she says, Slava Bogu, here is my little boy. He's three years old, he's running around. He's been healed. He was healed. Can I tell you this one? There's so many reasons why God doesn't heal the sick. Sometimes it's not the will of God. He's going to heal us all in the resurrection, you know. That's when the great healing is going to come, in the resurrection. But I think sometimes he doesn't heal us because we violate the laws of God so much and we will not repent of our sins and we do not believe in a God who can heal. The gospel, still the power of God. Now I know this congregation, I know you. I know how worldly we are. I know it. I know that most of you look at the same television programs, you go to the same movies, you feed on the same stuff. I know many of the fathers in the church. I know you never lead your family in daily worship. You don't read the Bible and I preach to you for years and it's done no good apparently because you're sinning against the Holy Ghost. Oh, that God would shake us up. Sometimes God has to send sickness and disease to get our attention. Don't mess with him, my friend. Listen to his voices. Listen to his voice. I've got in my pocket here something, and I'm going to show you some of the folks that I spoke to and the churches we've helped to build. These are people in the church, the 3ABN church, that was built through the vision of Danny Shelton, through the power of the gospel, are some of the folks that we baptized 20 years ago, 20 years ago, atheists, communists. You know the best way to overcome darkness is by showing the light. I don't believe in sending over bombers and bombing them back to the dark ages. I believe in preaching the gospel and saving their souls. People say, the greatest force in America is the U.S. Army. No, it's not. The greatest force in America is the gospel of Christ. Get it right. See a crucifix? It's made out of silver. Look at it. I don't wear it. It was given to me by a colonel who was in charge of teaching atheism for the Soviet forces in Kiev. He came to the meetings and he gave his life to Christ. That is the trophy from a communist, an ex-communist atheist. Atheism, people are scared about atheism. I like the atheists. You know why? They talk more about God than the Christians. All the time the atheists are talking about God. Isn't it amazing to talk about somebody who doesn't exist? All they do is talk about God. Their very name is Atheist. Well, this was given to me by the leading atheist for the nation of Ukraine after I baptized him. The gospel is being preached these choir members that you can see on the screen 
are people who were baptised. One of the men kneeling down with me there was an officer in the Soviet army, an atheist. Now, if God can do it for people over there, and I want you to know something, these, we helped to build these churches with our offerings. And did you know, by the grace of God over there, the 3ABN building is the biggest Protestant building in Russia, done by lay people. Goodness, lay people aren't supposed to do that. The church in Kiev is the biggest Protestant church in the whole nation of Ukraine. And you've helped to do it. You should take heart that you're part of something bigger than you are. His kingdom is advancing in spite of indifference, hatred, opposition and persecution. His truth is marching on. And now we go to Papua New Guinea. It's going to be the biggest challenge. Let's have some pictures from the Solomons because the people look the same. Papua New Guinea has got some of the greatest saints that I've ever met. Nevertheless, it is filled with fear and tension and it desperately needs not more politicians. You know what amazes me in America? You'll have to forgive me that Americans are so turned on by politics. At every four years, they're turned on and a few months after it, they're all turned off all disillusioned. Oh, he didn't, didn't turn out the way we thought he would. Why don't you let Jesus turn you on? Why don't you get involved in something bigger than politics and all of that stuff? Politics, it's important. But on a scale of one to 10, if the gospel is a 10, politics doesn't make it to one. This country, a PNG, having its elections. There'll be riots, fighting. And when we go, we go in the name of the Lord and we have been told, listen to this. I want to talk to this camera. We have been told that we can expect and the officials of PNG have told me we can expect more than 100,000 people a night have you ever seen a crowd like that? No, you folks are looking at me blankly. You don't understand what I'm saying, do you? You're in a different world, aren't you? They say 150,000, maybe some nights 200,000 people who come to hear the gospel of Christ. We're going to preach outdoors and we're going to see tens of thousands of people one to Christ we're taking a television crew with us. You say, how do you afford it? Well, God helps us through you. We're going to televise the entire series of meetings and then we're going to put it on television from coast to coast so that every person in that nation is going to hear it. We are going to see a mighty turning to God. I say his truth is marching on Glory, hallelujah. You know, when you take your kids, or at least when I used to, after you've driven a few miles, they say, are we there yet? Hmm? Are we there yet? Uh, long days, are we there yet? You should ask that question. We're almost there. You know what the next thing in the history of this world is? Remember the great vision of Daniel 2. Can't, don't have time to turn the text. Head of gold, chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet part of iron and part of clay and all, you know that. And then the great stone that comes. I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the great image of Daniel 2 that represents the kingdoms 
of this world. Uh, and uh, it's coming on the screen. Here it is. Babylon, uh, past Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then you get down, my friend, uh, to the toes of time. You come down to the very end of everything. And we are living not in the feet, but in the toes. And the next great event in the history of the world is the coming of Christ. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. I will come again. He will. Many years ago, an old, old preacher back in Australia, Pastor George Burnside, a great preacher, few could preach like him, told the story of a young woman who was given a job in a big silk mill. That silk was very, this was many years ago, that silk was very hard to, to handle. And the supervisor said, if it starts to tangle, don't try to straighten it out. He said, call for me. But he'd only been gone for a little while and the silk started to tangle. And he, she thought in her foolishness, I cannot call for him now. What will he think of me? And so she tried to straighten it out like you and I do. We try to straighten it out. And in the end, when there was a terrible mess, she pushed the button and the supervisor came running and uh, he said to her, why didn't you call for me? She said, sir, I did my best. He said, young lady, the best thing you could have done was to call for me. And the best thing for you and for, and for me to do is to try to stop sorting out the mess and call for God. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Amen. Let us kneel. Before we pray, are there some here today who've got special needs? Would you raise your hand to God if you've got a special need today? Say, Lord, I'm calling on you in prayer. Lower your hands. I want all the fathers to look at me. It's time for the fathers in this church, in America, to act like fathers and to be men. It's time for us to be the priests of our home and to lead our families in daily worship. And Father, if you're not doing that, it's because you're shirking your responsibility. It's time for us to read the Bible every day, to turn off the garbage and television. And it's time for us to call on God in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, your word has spoken to us today. We know that we're on the brink. We know that the storm is coming. We know that as a church, we are asleep and selfish and we want comfort and we want the maintenance of the status quo and safe, easy jobs. But help us to remember the words, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Help us, dear Father, 
to fight the good fight. We need to be covered by the blood of Christ. We need the gospel of Christ in our hearts. We need our sins forgiven. And we need the word of God to live in us. Help us to understand that the infilling of the spirit and the infilling of the word of God are the same. You cannot have one without the other. So infill us with the word and infill us with the spirit. As we cry upon you in prayer today, as we're praying with our heads bowed and every eye closed, how many will raise a hand and say, God, change my life today for your glory. Make me the person that you want me to be. I'm sorry for being what I have been. Make me what you would have me to be. Would you raise your hand if that's your prayer today? Lord, change my heart today. Make me holy yours today. Fill me with your spirit and fill me with your word. Fill me with the love of God because it is the love of God that drives, out, drives us on out into the hostile world to proclaim the merits of Christ. Bless these upraised hands today, these upraised hearts. Bless our young people. Put a fire under them, Lord. Some of them have been brought up by parents in this church who are utterly indifferent, lackadaisical. Help the parents to suffer, to experience a spiritual revolution in their lives. And if that doesn't happen, help the children to independently seek God while he may be found. Bless the young people. Bless the older people. Bless the boys and the girls. Bless us with a mighty turning to God as we stand on the brink in this tremendous hour. Thus we worship you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen and amen. Amen. amen.